This is Coda Radio, episode 417 for June 7th, 2021. Hey there, good looking. Welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the entire world of technology. This episode is brought to you by a cloud guru. You know, cloud guru has that cloud playground, Azure, AWS, or Google's cloud sandboxes on ACG's credit card and not yours. That's right. You can get certified, you can get hired, and you can go hands-on and get learning at a cloud guru. Com. My name is Chris, and taking notes from today's keynote, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. I don't think we're going to fool them with that one. <laughs> you look at I watched the keynote. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I was impressed you were watching the keynote, actually. And, you know, I, I thought maybe because we got so much to talk about, we don't even need to talk about WWDC today. You know, we don't need it. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got the launch keyboard right here. You know what I'm saying? My, Me too. You got your launch? Yeah, but what... what uh, what caps did you go with? Or switches, I should say. Yeah, I use the Royals, the quieter ones, I believe, right? Yeah, um, which are, are quiet-ish. Here, I'll give you a little demo. Quiet-ish, you know? Oh, oh, you don't need to give me a demo. I, I too, have launched. <laughs> a $285 keyboard. Is it worth it? Right off there, off the top. What do you think? I think yes. Now, it is... It is an expensive keyboard. No, no two ways about that. But I'm I'm extremely happy with it. I mean, I've been using it primarily on Mac OS. And the fact that they added a pinwheel effect for me is just glorious. So yeah, oh yes. The beach ball of doom when Xcode, you know, does its thing. Well, you know, the reality is um it is a really nice typing experience. I installed it in the studio here, and I'm replacing the keyboard I talked about before, my Keychron K3, and uh, which was a nice like $85 mechanical keyboard. And Wes Payne can attest, because he has to sit in here with me in the studio, I could never really get a good typing rhythm down with my Keytron. It just was like not quite lining up with my hands. Mm. And I fly on the launch. And this is Wes's observation. He brought it up to me yesterday. He's like, you are typing faster than I have ever seen you type, as long as he's known me, he mentioned. And I really am just flying on this keyboard. Now, I don't know exactly what they've done. Maybe it's some of the sizing, the way things are laid out, the feel. Maybe it's like 100 things that are all coming together. But it is really a great typing experience. It has a lot of really clever features. I'm going to deep dive into some of the software features you can modify and the layers you can set up in Linux Unplugged this week. But needless to say, um, I was... I, I was skeptical that the price would be justified. I, I will be honest. Sure. I knew I would like it. I knew I, I had a pretty good I had a pretty good idea that they knew what they were doing because I've talked to them over the years and I've kind of seen eye to eye with them on their philosophy about building this thing. But I, I was I was legitimately worried that two hundred and eighty five dollars was just kind of unjustifiable. It, it's not cheap. I, I think it's clearly worth it. This is one of those cases where where I put on my Marco Armin ATP t-shirt, which I have in both blue and purple. And uh, <laughs> I really do. And uh, in fact, I, ordered, I just ordered a pint glass from them. And by the way, how do you justify such expensive beer glasses? Me? My glasses? Mine are more cheap. What are you talking about? No, I'm talking about them. Oh, okay. Yeah, somebody wrote in that they love when we troll ATP, so there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got a, they got a merch store so we can troll them. Just, uh, just a little feedback. Uh, so, the robe situation. June, right? It's happening. All right, people were tweeting at me. 
It is. Oh, I know. I know. People are tweeting like we didn't just do an update last week. I felt like we did, but all right. Uh, we did. It was the first email out of the gate last week. Mm. Mm, but 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 maybe just for 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 brevity, so you don't have to go back and listen. Small batches are shipping out throughout this whole month, and if everything stays on track by the end of June, everyone should have their robes. I wouldn't be surprised if that slides a little bit because it just comes down to material shortages. But yeah, they are going out. So do send us some pictures. The first people to start getting their robes, I want pictures. And if you have a launch keyboard and you can hold it like a like a sword <laughs> in your robe, that would be great. That, that would be amazing. Anyways, we'll have more thoughts on the launch because it is an investment, but no doubt about it. The only thing I, I, I wish I could buy more of them. I like it so much. I wish I could afford more of them. That's the only thing. But I absolutely do feel like it was worth the money I spent. Uh, and I have more thoughts, including I bought a $30 mechanical keyboard to just see what what is the difference, you know, of like $200 and change. And I'll, well, I'll do that comparison later as well. But honestly, there is a lot to get into for WWDC. And right off the top, you know, big elephant in the room, nada on the hardware. No hardware announced, no M2, no 40 cores, no MacBook Pros. Yeah. A lot of people were pissed. A lot of, yeah, that was, I was super surprised. I thought the big win here was going to be the MacBook Pro. For me, the tell was when WWDC's keynote started and the Apple store was still online, I knew right then and there. I knew it. Oh, dude, good. Yeah, good call. We did get a lot of platform feature updates. And I watched this event from the perspective of a 20-year desktop Linux user. And so I watched this stuff come in and I kind of compare it to what we have in the free software community. And then also, you know, what against Android and Windows and all that kind of stuff. And there's a few things that I think are, are, are fluff that we're just going to completely avoid. And we're going to just focus on things that I think are interesting, that Mike thinks are interesting, or our new technical innovations or our new big platform statements by Apple. And so that means there's a lot in here, like the SharePlay API, which actually looks really clever, but I just don't have a lot to say about it. You know, it's something we're going to have to test. Um, FaceTime coming to... The web and Android. I mean, I guess that's kind of noteworthy. Just one pandemic late on that one. <laughs> Ouch. And of course, there was that big announcement up on stage. We're going to take it all the way. We're going to the standards bodies starting tomorrow, and we're going to make FaceTime an open industry standard. Oh, my bad. Sorry, that was from a previous keynote. Uh, no accident there, a little production there. But uh, it is good to finally see it on the web, I suppose. But let's talk about stuff that I think really matters. And that's going to kind of start for me with personally what matters to me. And then we'll expand out, I think, to uh, general industry and, of course, the stuff that's going to matter to developers. But right off the top, iOS is introducing something that Android tried in 2017 and is now classifying notifications across a range of from passive to critical. So you've got like... Yelp recommendations and just general app spam, that's a passive. Active would be breaking news, team score, stocks, time sensitive, like a package delivery is another category. And then the the last one is critical. So like an amber alert style kind of alert and uh, low, medium and high kind of settings. There's there's four levels total that will be used together to, I guess, allow the operating system to try to surface to the user the priority of notifications is this what we wanted? Is this what you expected for notification overhaul? Um, no, because I don't think it's going to work, which I, this is one of those cases where I feel really bad saying that because I want it to work. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I 
don't think this is going to work for the same reason it didn't work in Android, right? You know why it's not going to work, Mike, is because it depends on the developers classifying these notifications. And they're all going to say their stuff is time sensitive or critical. They're all going to abuse the system. And then it'll it'll be up to app review to policy it and police it. And it's just going to be slow and tedious and not nearly as functional as if they just let the user go in and define a notification. Like maybe the first time a notification comes up right then and there, I could push in on it and define this type of notification and the operating system would remember it there forward. That would probably solve it over time. Yeah, but just the sheer amount of manual labor you just signed app review up for. (laughs) Well, it's going to one way or another, they're going to have to enforce this new notification classification. Um, you either make the users do it or you make the developers do it and the app review police it. But here's why I really want it to be successful, because I'm going to just admit right off the top. They announced a feature that is platform wide that if they correctly implement, I will switch to a Mac desktop for everything. And I'm not kidding because it would change my life. And it was this focus feature. While an important part of finding focus is about reducing distraction from others, it's also about drawing boundaries for yourself. There may be periods in your day when you want to be totally focused on work, or maybe you just want to be fully present with your family at dinner. In these moments, you can use Do Not Disturb or strike more of a balance with focus. Focus is a new way to match your device to your current mindset. With focus, all you have to do is choose what you want to focus on. You can carve out time in your day for work or your personal life. When setting up a focus, we use on-device intelligence about your past activity to suggest apps and people to allow notifications from. So if you're at work, you could choose to only be notified by coworkers or apps like Mail, Calendar, or Slack. You can even dedicate a page on your home screen to match your focus and organize your apps and widgets in a way that reduces temptations by making only your work apps visible. For your personal life, we'll suggest being notified only by friends and family or apps like Calm. And for a home screen to match, you can have your favorite entertainment apps like YouTube or widgets for keeping up with your friends and family. We'll even intelligently suggest using a focus based on your context, using different signals like location or time of day. Of course, you can create a custom focus too. And when you use a focus on one device, it automatically sets on all your other devices. That's huge, including the watch and the, and the tablet and the damn phone. I can tell you it is, such, it is such an annoying thing when I sit down to record or maybe I'm an old man and I try to take a nap and I silence something or I set a status somewhere and the the one or two devices I forget are the ones that always wake me up or always notify me or interrupt the recording. And then also to help with ADD in general, um, that could be fantastic. And then ultimately the use case that I would use this for on day one is when I am flying my mother effing drone, (laughs) that is the precise moment that everyone I know starts to contact me. And it could be like, so if I try to lock down Slack and Telegram and Discord, it'll be all of a sudden uh, Gmail smart alerts start coming up. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter who it just, I will start getting all of the notifications while I'm flying my drone. And of course, on this stupid little iPhone mini, it takes up such a huge portion of the screen that it actually obstructs my view of flying my drone. And there have been times where maybe I was flying my drone for 20 minutes and I received eight, 15 notifications 
and it's outrageous. And even if I have the phone in D&D mode, I still get the drop-down notifications unless I completely disable them. I still get the drop-downs. And focus mode would take care of that. And on top of that, they're making a damn API available for third-party messaging apps like Telegram and Slack that can see my system-wide status and reflect in those apps when I'm in D&D mode. That would change my life. Yeah. I mean, I did not really take this seriously, but in the somewhat questionable case where this actually works, yeah. Yeah, it has to work. Um, But if I could just get a focus mode where only one or two people could even break through, that would be massive for me. And the idea that that would sync across the desktop, the watch, the tablet, and the phone, oh, man, man, oh, man, that would be the ultimate for me because right now I have so many different disparate OSs and devices, it is a manual process for all of them. And that is the kind of workflow improvement, these kinds of things that would just really entice me to switch over to the platform and say, I love you, Linux desktop, but this improves my life. Uh, And uh, that to me is a big one. I find it hard to believe you would really consider leaving the Linux desktop. Not completely, but as a daily driver, if if they start to add features that allow me to avoid notifications when I am in the middle of recording or in the middle of flying or in the middle of editing which is something I am almost always doing, oh my God, it would change my life. It really is a source of stress and frustration for me, especially when I'm up there flying. And there, it is so frustrating and stressful for me that I actually start to become religious and suspect that there may be some kind of divine intervention going on just to screw with me because I simply can't un- uh, comprehend how else it is possible that I get so many notifications and I hear from so many different people every time I'm flying my drone or every time I'm trying to record. And, and people that have worked with me for a while know I could go, all day, no notifications. I sit down to record. That's when they all come in. And of course, it's on the one device that I didn't silence that particular time. Oh, it gets me so fired up. It really is. It is like slow torture every single day of my life. (laughs) I hate notifications. And because every application is constantly adding its own messaging platform, some days just miraculously apps auto update and now they have a messaging feature and now I'm getting notifications from them. And and as soon as there is a way for humans to contact me on a platform, I start getting notifications. (sighs) Gets me worked up. God damn, dude. All right. You know, so maybe, maybe I, if, if it could, if they could make that better, I might, I might consider switching, but I know what you and I were talking about before the big event was they really needed to improve the iPad situation. Oh, dude, dude, you have to go first because this is going to be another, another rant. So I think the area that was uh, needed most obvious addressing was all of it. Yeah. I mean, it really all needed so much work. Multitasking was one of them, but I, I don't even know if I could say it was the majority of where the work needed to be. But we did see some updates in multitasking. There is now a new multitasking menu. In iPadOS 15, there's a new control that appears at the top of your apps. Tapping on it reveals the multitasking menu. From here, I can take an app full screen or work with two apps at the same time by creating a split view or slide over. I'll tap on the split view icon and the app slides to the edge of the screen, giving me quick access to my home screen, where I can select from any of my apps. Essentially, they're taking the multitasking gestures and functionality that were obtuse and hard to remember, and they're exposing them with a visual menu pop-up that is now going to be persistent, that 
that gives you um, actual like little indicators of where you're actually going to be putting the app when you hit that button. And then they're now combining that with a new shelf. The new multi-window shelf gives you quick access to all the open windows for that app. So now you can have Safari with multiple tabs and multiple windows or any app. You can have multiple windows for the apps now, and those windows will live in the shelf. And then you can get to that at the bottom of the screen. You know, when I'm, when I'm on my iPad, the first, I often think, you know what this needs? This needs a shelf. <laughs> like to put some some knickknacks on, you know, a couple like bobblehead yeah. guys, a couple, maybe some Donald Knuth books, right? That's what this needs. You've already got your application switcher at the bottom of your screen. Then you've got the dock at the bottom of the screen. So clearly you needed a shelf at the bottom of the screen too. I'm not joking. I think this is genius. <laughs> really? Oh, my next big product is a shelf. Yeah. For what? For for Linux? <laughs> for for whatever it needs to be. I mean, bring like, the shelf to Windows. <laughs> listen, you bring me an application, I will shelfify it. Uh, trademark pending on shelfify. They also added new keyboard navigation and shortcuts across the whole OS multitask. It is good to see that iPad OS 14 is um, going to run on all the same iPads that uh, 14 does. So 15 and 14 run on the same set of iPads. And um, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like enough to call this a pro platform still. Nothing really changed with how it handles external storage. There's still no quote unquote pro way to load my own apps. The multitasking features are going to have to be a wait and see. There's no announced external monitor improvements. We really just have a new set of iPad controls that are unique to the iPad that don't really scale beyond that. And um, it seems to me like iPadOS continues to be an excuse to take just baby steps. You know, like a lot of the things they added to the iPad this year was stuff that the iPhone got last year, like App Library. What are you talking about? This is like Atlas spanning the world. It's a shelf, man. It's what you needed. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in credit and, of course, support the show. That's $100 in credit for 60 days on your new account. Linode is our hosting provider of choice. Everything. Everything we've built in the last few years has been built on Linode. Their infrastructure is solid. It's fast. It's flexible. It lets you focus on your project and not the infrastructure. Their pricing is extremely competitive, 30 to 50% cheaper than what you're going to find at other big cloud providers. But they're independently owned, so you know that they have a long-term plan. They've been around since 2003, and they're not just like a fly-by-night that's been jacked up with some VC funding. You get 11 data centers to choose from. Every single one of them is screaming fast. Every service level, regardless if it's a $5 rig or or maybe you've got some fancy high-end CPU or GPU compute rig, well, you're going to get the same great support. Every single server comes with their 24-7 phone or ticket support. And every step of the way since 2003, Linode has asked themselves how they can make the service better. They've built on features that make a lot of sense, like object storage, or, of course, load balancers, centralized logging tools, Kubernetes and Terraform support. All of those come together to make Linode super expandable and scalable to large business needs, but totally approachable to a complete beginner, maybe somebody who just wants to learn or maybe has a great idea and they just want to give it a spot on the Internet. Start by going to linode.com coder. Get that $100 60-day credit, and then you really have something to work with. Try out Linode's dashboard. See what their load balancers can do. See how great it is for a small team or a large team to have access to these powerful tools. And unlike entry-level hosting service providers that lock you into their platform, 
Linode is going to give you full backend access to customize and control your server to fit your needs when you need it. So go to linode.com slash coder. Go there, get that $100 60-day credit towards your new account. And of course, you support the Coder Radio program. Linode.com slash coder. Well, Siri got some nice improvements, and I'm not even kidding. Um, Y'all can shut up about Siri and um, just listen. Offline voice processing, game changer. Hang on. Just listen. Come on. Come on. <laughs> hey. You have a sound clip for it. Hey. Oh, you're right. Stay a while and listen. There you go. This is very solid for me. Uh, I use Siri a lot to control my home assistant install at home. And offline speech recognition was like the real limiting factor for all of us because we like to go up in the hills and stuff. And on top of that, the new Siri voices are so much better than all the other smart tubes. The, the new voices they rolled out are creepy good. Um, Siri gets a lot of crap, but I think it's better than the other assistants. And now with local processing finally coming for a lot of basic voice commands, it's going to be fast as hell and work without internet connection. That's what's up. I am very happy about this. It cut every time they said HomePod Mini and didn't even mention the HomePod, but I'll take it. I know. I'm with you on that now. Yeah, I actually been thinking about trying to buy one more. But then after watching the keynote today, Apple pretended like they never even made the HomePod. We don't know who you are, child. Monterey, Mac OS Monterey is here and um, got a name. <laughs> got a name. and They're calling it Mac OS 12 too. So they are iterating the number now like they do with every iOS release. They're now iterating every Mac OS release. There was a feature that they kind of demoed during the Mac segment that uh, people in the chat room during the keynote thought you were really going to like. It's called Universal Control. This is really powerful. With universal control, I can even drag and drop files between my devices. I'm just going to take this drawing I finished on my iPad and drop it on the keynote on my Mac. Awesome. For our pros out there, universal control works with more than two devices. So let's add this iMac into the mix. Now I can use the trackpad on my MacBook to control my iMac as well. Uh, what do you think? One mouse on one device control multiple uh, different Apple devices, and you can drag and drop application or a data ap application data between them. Um, kind of a cool feature. It's like um, synergy. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's not earth shattering for my workflows. I really, I'm not going to use it, but I think it's cool. I could see like more designy type, you know, graphical people really having a good time with it. Yeah, or those situations where maybe you got to sign a document so you could send something over to the iPad real quick, sign it there, and then send it back to the to the Mac. True, true. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's not like I don't know if I would call it like revolutionary or whatever you just said, but it's an interesting payoff to adding mouse and trackpad support to the iPad, and now they can do this. That's interesting. It must require the same iCloud account and proximity to each other. Some of these uh, events, they haven't gone into more details yet. Some we do have details about, some we don't. And that one is a little a little obtuse. Um, and also now the Mac can be an AirPlay destination. And shortcuts on the Mac are going to be the uh, the new... Automator. Future of automation, they said. Yeah. A multi-year transition. Again, this is where I think our developer audience is like, well, why can't I just write a Python script or something, right? But I think a lot of more like non-dev power users will actually like that once it matures enough that it's, uh, how can I say it, N not trivial in what it can do. Yeah, and it needs to be widely adopted too. Like Adobe 
would need to and Microsoft would need to adopt this. So then it could be actually useful for larger uh, selections of people. It will also come, they said, with a large, rich library of pre-built shortcuts just for the Mac, kind of implying to me that the iOS shortcuts will not work on the Mac. And then they noted this, but just really quickly, they are introducing a low power mode on the Mac, which is compatible with early 2016 and later MacBook Pros, and I assume M1 MacBook Pros. And according to Apple, low power mode on the Mac will reduce the system clock speed and display brightness in order to extend your battery life even further. I would imagine it also disables turbo boost. Seems like if you've already got ridiculous battery life on the M1 and then you turn on low power mode, what are you going to get two days out of the thing? (laughs) Uh, You know, I I will not criticize this one. There is, remember, we're going to be back out in the world again doing conferences and seeing clients. Oh, I think it's great. Yeah, there's never enough battery life. Just keep it up. I think this is a baby step, low power mode, though. I mean, again, I'm looking at this from a perspective of a Linux user thinking, I do this now with TLP, but it's a very manual process. But what would be nice with low power mode is kind of um, some kind of feedback system where Dropbox could be told to stop syncing or whatever. It, you know, Slack oh, and different apps could oh, go. No, that, no, no that, that's easy. Um, you go to your applications directory, RMR, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> Dropbox, that app, yeah. Hey, I mean, overall, pretty minor update to Mac OS. Um, looks like most machines older than 2015 are not going to be supported with Monterey, with the exception of the trash can. So there you go. Synced focus mode really could be the biggest feature for me the, for Mac OS. But there is uh, there is some goodies in here for developers, including lots of new APIs. They they kind of made a point that they, they sort of have an API to go with every single thing they announced today, which is that's good to see. One API that stuck out to me is the thing where you can scan an object and create an AR 3D model. I'm assuming they're using the same, uh, and I didn't get to dig into this because I ran out of time, but I'm assuming they're using the same model class. They use, uh, you know, an AR kit, right? I'm, I'm sure this is just an extension of AR kit. Yep, you're right. That is actually cool. Two years ago, I had a project where we were doing, we had these like giant ass handheld, like guns, quote unquote, but like think about like giant scanners at, at like Walmart. And what they were is they 3D scanned objects. And we were having to programmat- programmatically create color OBJ files out of them, or color STLs, I can't remember which. But this is when I was doing a bunch of Rust. We, you, I talked about it briefly. Um, and the dream was, could we hack a way to do this on iOS? At the time, it just, we just couldn't, couldn't get the fidelity. But if this works, as it seems, as they're claiming it does, that's going to open up a lot of cool doors for like importing real-world AR models without having to spend a fortune because these scanners are like five grand a piece or something. Yeah, in the State of the Union, they demoed scanning a pastry. And one of the things they've done that is not as easy as it sounds is they've also enabled scanning the top and the bottom with figuring out the background to make it consistent so you can get a complete scanning of the object. And, of course, they're using the LiDAR sensor to do all the depth sensing and all that kind of stuff as well. So, really, if you get something in decent lighting, you can get a very accurate, very high-resolution 3D model. Even kind of like the feedback software they're using to show you the progress of the scan is getting pretty high-end. So, the AR stuff has gotten really advanced. It's got to be building to something, but whatever it's building to was not even hinted at today in the keynote today. No, yeah, time time is still still a factor here. The other, I think, big developer thing, um, although to their credit, by making it open source, they also kind of kneecap themselves. Uh, Swift 
uh, is getting some very big concurrency improvements and a, and a really nicer version of async await. And if that means nothing to you, then you're not a Swift developer. Yeah. Uh, but Swift is, it's one of those cases where like C sharp, for example, where, you know, all that async await stuff really kind of got its, its mainstream footing. It was just like dunking on Swift, which I'm, I'm of course thrilled to see at any point. It's good. I mean, if you're working day to day in Swift, this is something you want. It's going to save you a bunch of pain in the ass handling concurrency stuff that's annoying and fraught with bugs. I did find their claim that what was it the thousand tops at, at top apps or something are made in Swift. What does that mean? Object capture and all of the APIs we've talked about today are built on the Swift programming language. Swift has made a huge impact on our app ecosystem, and today the majority of the top thousand apps are built using Swift. The majority of the top thousand apps are built with using Swift. Objective-C totally got the HomePod treatment. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> you know, they were all about... So anytime they could mention something was built in Swift, which is anything they've recently built, they would mention it was built in Swift. They wanted you to know it. Um, and Swift Playgrounds was pitched now as the way to make apps for the iPad. I, I got a brief clip for that, too. Swift Playgrounds is a great way to learn to code through a series of Apple design lesson plans that are interactive and fun. This year, we're taking it even further by adding the ability to build apps on iPad. You build these apps with Swift UI, which makes development easy. The code you write is immediately reflected in the live preview of your app. This new project type even works with Xcode on Mac. Swift Playgrounds now supports improved code completion. So you can just start typing and quickly add the suggestion to your code. You also have access to the whole library of UI components and the documentation to go with it. And if you're new to app development, you can go right to the app store. You can build an app on the iPad and submit it to the app store. And they are now claiming it's an avenue to make apps on the iPad on iOS. Yeah, I mean, I so, so a couple of things, just taking a quick jump back. I'm still going to challenge that Swift claim only because Technically, when you build like an Ionic or a Xamarin app, there's some Swift running around in their Objective-C, right? So, I don't know. I, I mean, are they pure Swift? Whatever. That's, that's just yeah, me hitting right, Swift. Right. I don't think this is for professional developers, this iPad thing, right? No. 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 This is for like Dylan and Reese and whatever. Yes, ostensibly, that's how they're pitching it. But what I think it really is, and I think they showed their cards in this keynote, is it is their baby steps to getting Xcode and Swift application development on iOS. And because they don't have the resources or the team dedication or maybe the mandate to just build a full-fledged Xcode for iOS, they seem to be instead taking the iMovie to Final Cut approach where they are doing baby steps as something that's just casual, guys. It's just for casual people. And then one day... You know, it's a WWDC, maybe it's 2025, and they announce Xcode for iOS, which is just a souped up version of Swift Playgrounds. And oh, by the way, it lets you write Swift applications and build them right here on iOS. That's got to be where they're going with this. Yeah, this this whole thing, just in general, the whole the whole presentation left me wondering, does macOS have five years of like main, like main focus? And maybe it's not even the main focus now, right? But will we seriously have maybe not devs, but, you know, professional business people, folks like that, like legitimately working full time on iPad? Well, Xcode Cloud could make that a little bit 
easier. That was something they they announced that pretty pretty significantly. Like they get they get dedicated a lot of time to Xcode Cloud, and then in the State of the Union, they dedicated fifteen minutes to Xcode Cloud. And here's the uh, short version of the announcement. There's something else we're doing this year, and it's going to take app development to the next level. It integrates the cloud with our developer tools in a powerful new way, and it's called Xcode Cloud. Today, creating an app requires multiple steps, building, testing, and delivery, and a number of different tools. Xcode Cloud simplifies the workflow by bringing everything together. So as an individual developer, you can focus your energy on being creative, and development teams can collaborate more effectively. Here's how it works. When you commit a change to your code, Xcode Cloud can automatically build the app. Because it's built in the cloud, your Mac is free for other tasks. And for teams, everyone can see if the change introduces errors so everyone can find and fix issues faster. Then, Xcode Cloud runs your automated tests in parallel, so they complete in a fraction of the time, even as they simulate running on every kind of Apple device and platform. And the test results are displayed in Xcode, so you can easily see what worked and fix what didn't. Finally, once the app passes all its tests, Xcode Cloud can automatically distribute it to the testers on your team and even external beta testers with TestFlight. Hey, with TestFlight, and they also announced TestFlight is coming to the Mac, which I think you called. Um, what do you think with Xcode Cloud? Maybe that's how they bring full application development to the iPad. Yeah, I mean, that would be a good way to get around some of the limitations of iOS. Although I do wonder if they actually would abide by those limitations, but hey. Ironically, you still need a Mac to use this right now because it requires Xcode to use Xcode Cloud. You manage Xcode Cloud using the local Xcode 13 on your Mac. (laughs) Yeah, but this is, I mean, you could see where this is going, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, They're just being cautious as they always are. Yeah. Like I sort of had a different take than you, I guess. I was thinking that, oh, wow, Apple finally discovered continuous integration. And like all developers who discover testing and continuous integration for the first time, they're zealots. Yeah. I also noticed they intend to charge for this service. And if their pricing scheme is as it is um, for most of their, uh, you know, products and services, I'm going to stick very happily with my GitLab GitLab pipelines because free and on my own hardware. Well, consider this. You know, here's here's going to be Apple's angle. Riddle me this, Batman. Go ahead. Number one, if you're paying for any Mac Mini Colo hosting, so that way you could do a code signing on non-Macs, you can now cancel that because this is going to do code signing in the cloud. Also, if you are buying extra devices for compatibility testing, you can stop buying those $1,000 devices because... This will run in parallel across all supported Apple devices. They will simulate every Apple device in the cloud and test it and give you results back in xCloud so you can save money on buying iDevices. And because they're doing the compiling in the cloud, you can now start buying cheap Macs that don't have high-end processors in them because the cloud's doing the build. And your iOS devices will be able to do the build or the, on, in the cloud. So you can buy cheaper iOS devices. So, you know, you add it up over the next five to 10 years and you're actually saving thousands of dollars potentially by using Xcode Cloud. Yeah, and, and I should be fair that my whole uh, GitLab pipelines example is problematic for iOS development, right? 
or at least for native iOS development. The trick is going to be tying in whatever kind of pipeline you have now into this, because this will be how you distribute it to your Apple users who are going to test it on the Apple platforms. Likely. All right. All right. You're changing my mind a little bit. I guess it depends on like how ridiculous the pricing is going to be for this. Yeah, we'll see. So it's a limited beta right now, and they're letting some developers in for free. And they're going to have full pricing and other details this fall. But uh, right now, it sounds like a slow rollout to me. Imagine if this service actually developed into something useful, and it meant in a few years from now, you could be kicking off builds, doing code signing, and distributing to testers from a Linux desktop. Maybe. Or maybe you don't even need a Mac anymore. Like You could manage all that stuff from some sort of xCloud for your iPad, and you you don't even need a Mac desktop. Well, I got to tell you, if they really end up deprecating the Mac, I think that's going to be an interesting opportunity for that awesome, awesome Linux distribution known as Windows 10. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. Now you can analyze code level performance across your environment and troubleshoot issues faster than ever with Datadog. Datadog has so many features that enable you and your team to communicate and analyze your entire infrastructure quickly. I love their continuous profiler. It automatically collects profiles from your production servers all the time, so you can analyze any of your data quickly with minimal overhead. You get a unified picture of your environment by correlating your code performance with your other monitoring data like server, metal performance, application performance, network performance, all brought into live beautiful dashboards. You got to go to datadog.com slash coder radio just to see these dashboards. And they have over 450 integrations with different enterprise level applications. So you can bring tracing and log management and continuous profiler to those products in the Datadog platform as well. Datadog really gives you the tools so you can pinpoint root causes of issues faster than ever and communicate them with your entire team visually. And of course, they have a bunch of smart alerts and all kinds of features that help you reach more uptime and availability than ever. So try Datadog's products for free for 14 days by visiting datadog.com slash coder radio. That's datadog.com slash coder radio. And for a limited time, if you start a free trial and you create one dashboard, you're going to get a free Datadog t-shirt. 14-day free trial, one dashboard, and a free t-shirt. That's a great deal, and you can get started at datadog.com slash radio. So there was a few changes in App Store policy, and of course, there was some things that were Sherlock. I think maybe we should wrap up with some of that and our thoughts. Um, they are giving developers the ability to do A-B testing of icons and screenshots, blah, 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 blah. Who really cares? What really matters is the updated contracts and policies and app review guidelines that now state the developers who need to can appeal an app rejection when they believe their app was rejected due to unfair treatment by the app review team, including political bias or other forms of bias. What could go wrong? <laughs> could you? Apple just basically threw their entire review team under the bus because everyone's going to claim some kind of bias now when their app gets removed. <laughs> some kind of bias yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be well i'm a mets fan you're a yankees fan so obviously you can't uh yeah this is terrible i don't i don't understand i mean it, it was obvious i think going in that they weren't going to do anything for developers only because they have how many lawsuits going on right now and the threat of uh you know federal regulations they would be admitting fault almost if they if they it would be admitting it would be crazy. I mean, I'm sure their their head of legal counsel would like slap Tim Cook in the face, right? Like, what are you doing? 
it's weird, right? Because years ago, I would come on here and rant and be like super radical about like the app store. Now I'm like, how about you just allow people another payment processing method? Yeah. And like, I think, I think that's enough. And I think that's reasonable and probably the most you'd ever get. So I, I don't know. Having said that, as a dev myself who may or may not have something coming, coming out on iOS in a few months, I'm still going to use their payment processing because it's so damn easy. Well, yeah, I would, you would use both, right? You could use Stripe. I think they could reasonably require you to use both, right? Like, well, the other big thing just on requirements, any app that allows account creation must now within the app allow account deletion. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a thing. There's a lot of businesses and a lot of developers um, who are not going to be particularly happy about that. Yeah. Maybe not indies like small guys like me who fine, you want to delete your account, go ahead. But like, you know, your let's not call them social media companies of the world. Yeah. Also, uh, developers can now report other developers that they think are, uh, you know, doing something wrong. That's amazing. Yeah, that's not that's that's not going to get abused. Uh, there's also new rules that say your identity information needs to be accurate and up to date at all times or else they can pull your app. And also Apple clarified that they can determine if your app does not provide adequate, quote, utility. It may not be accepted on the App Store at all. <laughs> So that was already a rule, though. Yeah, I guess they clarified that further to make it more explicit. <laughs> I don't know. I never thought that. I mean, that rule was kind of like. I just love that they just determined the utility of an app, but yet fart apps and millions of flashlight apps <laughs> make it on the App Store. I guess you're right. I mean, I used to do apps for like restaurants way back in the day, and it was always like problematic because yeah, they really just wanted you to be able to like look at their menu and call them. Uh, this is before the days of DoorDash and all that stuff. Those probably wouldn't and shouldn't pass the utility test, I would think. Sure locked. Well, we got um, a big one. Here's a big category. Authenticator apps like Authy and Google Authenticator got sure locked because iOS 15 includes a built-in password authenticator with autofill for tokens. So those have been sure locked. Um, the Exif metadata app that uh, was called, um, I can't remember the name. I can't remember the name, but it was Apple sure locked that app. It was a pretty well-known app. And um, most casual VPNs have been Sherlocked because Apple is building in private relay into, into iCloud and Safari that is, is probably just going to get used by most people that uh, are just worried about the typical coffee shop traffic. I mean, those are just some of the apps I noticed they got Sherlocked. But when you go on Twitter and you search for Sherlock, there's a lot more developers that are moaning about their apps getting consumed into iOS 15. Yeah, I, this this is the. I mean, I put something snarky on it before. Um, this felt like Apple was really interested in one third party developer in particular. Unity got a mention. You know, you know, some engines got a mention up on stage, but there was hardly any featuring of third party developers at all or their apps. It was awkward. It was all about Apple. I know it's their keynote, but traditionally. There is app demos and they're, you know, not always great, but it seems like this video format would actually be the perfect format to do a, an app demo by a third party developer because you could cut it down and make them take multiple takes to actually make it interesting. Yeah. And they just completely just didn't even bother, even though a lot of the COVID restrictions have loosened up and now they have people in the same room together in the videos. Um, they still didn't bother. It was all Apple. You know what, Mike? It, none of it really deserved a nearly two hour keynote. Or an hour and fifty minute, whatever it was. It all all of the stuff that got announced could just be WWDC videos. There really wasn't any blowaway features. The pacing was weird. They spend a bizarre amount of time on health. 
And I guess they've kind of decided they don't need to go so silly with the transitions anymore because the kind of overall production of the video was toned way down as well. It wasn't as much of a spectacle to watch. So not only was it not very compelling announcements, um, we didn't cover a lot of them because they just aren't very compelling or, or useful to our audience in our estimation. And then on top of it, the production quality didn't seem as good as it was. And it it seems somewhat self-obsessed. So do you think that's a reflection on their general feeling about third-party developers? I think you could interpret it that way. But I, I suspect a more simpler cause is what is really at play here. I think an Apple made inference to this. These virtual keynotes are getting so many more views. Like, I think they said something that was like a hundred and something million views. Like we're talking just like way beyond the the crowd that they used to focus at, at WWDC in the past. And I think that means they've gone to more of a general public pitch and they're not niching down on the geeky stuff as much. So that means less time talking about developers, less time talking about how APIs are going to work and more time talking about platform features and software features that are appealing to more people just because of the broad scope of people that are watching these keynotes now. The State of the Union kind of covered the same stuff, but much more technical, you know, and it started with Xcode. I kind of didn't feel like this is really a developer conference. Right. And I don't know what to make of that. Like part of me is like, well, I'm sure they had other plans, but all the legal problems, they maybe just like, you know, and and maybe they had hardware plans, but the chip shortage, you know, it, it it's slowing them down a little bit. Yeah, I read some somebody had a take. I think it was maybe Miguel de Acasa that was super interesting to me. Maybe they didn't release the any new hardware because they couldn't hit the uh, or rather breach the 16 gig barrier on the M1 right now. Oh, that'd be interesting. There's a lot of leaks about their the new uh, the new Apple Silicon that's in the works. So I don't know. I I bet they they gotta have. They got to have something in the works already. It just isn't ready yet. Either way, uh, you don't, you know, this is why you don't get so worked up about the rumors. You, know, you and I, we, we, we talk about what's out or what's announced more than we ever talk about like the specific nitty gritty rumors in most cases, because it just sometimes never materializes. And when you're buying for the Apple platform, you just got to, you got to plan for what's available today and you shouldn't buy something hoping that it'll do something it doesn't do today. Like people that bought the iPad M1, the new iPad Pro, hoping that Apple was going to do something to justify 16 gigs of RAM in that thing. I, I don't think they answered that. I, I think you if you bought your iPad Pro hoping that it was going to get more useful with iOS 15, it got moderately more useful, but you, you didn't get $500 more useful, right? And so that's that's the that's the gotcha with the Apple platform is you got to kind of plan for what they've what they've announced today. And you know, some of the new features and some of the new things, they won't even tell you until they introduce the new hardware that supports them. So what do you what, what do you think is this a win or a, or a loss for Apple in WWDC? Um, I mean, it's a boring WWDC. It's a nice platform update for users as the Linux observer looking in at this event, I say to myself, I'd really like really like my free software platforms to have something like SharePlay. I'd really like to have something like the focus mode. I think it would be pretty great to have some of these features built into my OS that have been Sherlocked. I have to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, some of this stuff is nice. Um, the 
synergy um, KVM across multiple devices thing. I think it'd be so cool if Plasma built that in. It seems like a killer feature for Plasma desktop, but there's nobody really driving that kind of stuff. And ultimately, the Siri changes with offline transcription and offline voice recognition are going to be things that I use on a daily basis when I'm traveling with my family. So this stuff, for me, I, I, it makes the Apple platform more appealing to me. There just isn't hardware right now that kind of fits my use case. That you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not always pushing my machines, but when I do push them, I want something that's more capable than what Apple currently offers. And they didn't solve that problem for me today. So I save myself some money. I don't buy any hardware, and I, I remain a satisfied Linux user today. But looking over my shoulder going, God, some of that stuff, I mean, like I got into earlier in the show, could really make a quality of life improvement for me. The betas are going out uh, right now for developers. If you are signed up and you've paid the $100, um, well, you get rewarded by getting access to the betas right now. And then the public gets uh, free betas next month. And then the final versions will release in the fall. And we'll have links to a bunch of this stuff in the show notes if you guys want to read more. But what about you, Mr. Dominic? Does it change anything for you? Does it make you want to make an app? Does it make you a satisfied Apple user? Uh, no changes. I mean, you, you're kind of swaying me on that uh, on that notification stuff. If that actually works, I'm a little. I'm still skeptical, but I see your point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have some long term concerns about the future of macOS relative to iPad. Hmm. But that always seems like it's five years out and who knows, right? Yeah. And they're moving the iPad so slow that if it is coming for the Mac, you're going to see it two, three years ahead of time because it's going to take them that long just to finally finish the job. <laughs> it's really sad. You know, I mean, they build these, I mean, the, the, the display and the M1 chip and that tiny little iPad, and they really just did nothing to really to take advantage of it. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should try out the multitasking stuff. Thanks to our QA team. Those of you who support the show at coderqa.co, you become a member, you support the show, and that matters a lot to us, keeps us independent, and it also gives you a nice benefit. You get a limited ad feed that you can add to your podcast player. It's a tighter version of the show with uh, less sponsor spots. And you also get the Coderly report that comes out every quarter when there's a new one to uh, to enjoy. You just it comes right down in your feed, like a magical feed. We also post it for download directly. Hey, Mr. Dominic, is there anything you want to mention before we go today? Yeah, just follow me on Twitter, at Dimanuko. That's a pro tip right there. The company, he, he can also follow that, too. You can mention that. That's at the Mad Bottering. Go follow that. I mean, mm. why not? I'm over there, at Chris Lance. You can follow that, too. The whole network, sure. Yeah, that's the signal, at Jupiter Signal. Go get the signal, at Jupiter Signal. And the podcast has got a, one of them, too. You know, for, like, news and stuff? I don't know. At Coda Radio Show. Links to what we talked about today are at coder.show slash 417. You'll also find our contact form over there. We want to get your feedback and your thoughts on all of this stuff. It's a big part of the show, and we'd like to continue the conversation. And your emails are the key. So go to that contact form. Grab the feed and all of that. And then why not consider joining us for a live event one of these times? Do it at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Mondays at jblive.tv. Thanks for joining us. See you back here next week.